Now, you'll, you'll notice there's not a subtitle underneath this, and I'm going to just blow your minds today because we're going to cover the entire book of Leviticus in the next 30 minutes. I'm not going to read the entire book of Leviticus in the next 30 minutes because I don't know that I could do that without pre-recording it and putting it on two times the speed because Leviticus is a big wordy book. And there's parts of that book when you read through it that can be a little shocking, can be a lot uncomfortable, and, and can be confusing uh, if we're just being genuine. And, and if we went into Leviticus in a deep dive look like we did Genesis and Exodus, we would probably be in Leviticus until next March. If you really want that, uh, I'll try and find you a source to go to because I'm not going to do it. <laughs> okay, I'm just being real. I, I I love Leviticus, but I love Leviticus from what you could call the the view from the blimp. And if you don't know what that is, you know, younger people in the room, those are those big like submarines in the air you know that you see that say Goodyear on them and they fly around at sporting events and they're they're the worst camera angle ever for football because everybody just looks like an ant or a rock moving around on the green surface it's it's bad I don't know why anyone ever wanted the view from the blimp but we have them and we're going to take that approach to Leviticus today where I'm going to give you kind of a, a blueprint or a breakdown and you get to go back and dive into God's word. And, and I hope you'll do it because most of the time we look at Leviticus and we're told, well, it's one of the books of the law and, and we as the modern church kind of throw it out because Jesus fulfilled the law and we do a huge disservice to the word of God. Because the, the law, I'm not saying you have to go back and follow every inch of Levitical law because I'm still going to eat bacon. God let me be a Gentile for a reason. It's because he knew my body runs on coffee and bacon. And, okay, anyways, I was keto before it was cool. But God put Leviticus the law out there for a reason and we're going to talk about that today and and it applies to us in that sense you you don't have to go back through and and worry about sacrificing doves and goats and and rams and and bulls and all the things that are mentioned because jesus took care of that but this entire book points to jesus i don't know if anyone ever told you that even though jesus tried to tell us that that you know, Jesus said all the law and the prophets hang on this, and he made the two statements about love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. But what Jesus didn't tell us is all the law and the prophets, they're, they're hanging and they're pointing towards me and what I'm going to do to put you in direct connection with my Father. And he tried desperately to convey that, and as we go through this, I'll point out a little bit 
pointing the finger at the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they got so caught up in what the law said, they forgot the purpose of the law. And they forgot their role in the law. And, and we do the same thing sometimes, and, and we'll get to that. But Leviticus, if you put it in a way that makes a little more sense to us, it's the owner's manual for the tabernacle. If the tabernacle were a brand new car, this would be in the glove box. Because it tells you, as the operator, how to use everything in the tabernacle. Which means some of you may have to go back and read about all the stuff in the tabernacle like I told you to do a week ago. Okay? Not giving a quiz today. It's okay because I told you, you know, kind of vaguely, but in a way I said, just go look at how much gold was used to build all the instruments of the tabernacle. And, and try and get your head around how expensive that tent in the wilderness was. And this is a recreation of it that exists today. It's, uh, it's there in Israel. Not exactly the same material it was built out of and definitely not as much gold. But there, there are different versions of the tabernacle and the temple that you can go look at around the world. Uh, I took this picture because this one's in Israel. So it's actually down Israel, Damascus, but anyway, no geography today. But one verse from Exodus, I promise you we won't go back. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Guys, this is a quick reminder to you that this is something you tell your bride. You are my treasured possession. Okay, beautiful line straight from Scripture that you can speak over your wife. And, and it works so much better than the love, honor, and cherish that we use in our vows. I really thought about rewriting that in for the Sparks that, you know, Dalton would say, and you will be my treasured possession. But I, I didn't want to mess with their vows too much. Get, get you in trouble as a preacher sometimes. But, you know, say that to your wife every morning when you wake up, man that, hey, good morning, my treasured possession. And if she takes it wrong, it's on her. Because your treasured possession is what you value most in life. And if you go out and start speaking over your car or your tractor, you're going to have words with your pastor. Okay? I don't speak that to my dog when he wakes me up in the middle of the night, by the way. He's not my treasured possession. He's an idiot with fur. But that's not the part of the verse that we're going to go with today. The part of the verse we need is, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now that's hard for the children of Israel because they're coming out from under an empire. And the only priests in the empire were not necessarily good people because the priests of Egypt were just like the priests of all the other nations in the world at that time, they did some unspeakable evil things in the act of worship to false gods. Child sacrifice was not uncommon in Egypt. There's a lot of people that don't want you to say that, and that's okay. It's there. You can go look in the hieroglyph that they offered children as sacrifice to the Nile. 
It happened. If you go to Mesopotamia, they offered sacrifice to a god named Molech where they threw babies into a bonfire as an act of worship. There was atrocities committed by priests in all of these other religions and God is saying to them, I want you to be an entire kingdom of priests. Can you imagine how much that must have freaked them out? Because priests weren't always held in high regard. And for us, we have to look at it. What is a priest? Because do you think that this mandate by God disappeared because the law was fulfilled? That mandate pre, it predates the law. So are we as Christians, are we called to be a kingdom of priests? And if we are, we better know what a priest does. And a priest has what we could call a fourfold ministry. And there, there's four things that priests have to do in order to fulfill their role. And, and this is one of the things I think spoke to me most deeply in this message is the fact that God has laid out for us what our role is. Sometimes we're, we're like, well, man, I don't know what I'm supposed to do because I, I'm not the, the person who leads the music on Sunday or I don't teach Sunday school or I don't run the soundboard or, or I don't do any of these things so I don't have a ministry in the church. You're not called to do a ministry in the church. You're called to be a priest to the world as part of the kingdom. But before we can talk about that, we have to deal with this pesky little thing. And it's not a little thing at all, and it's actually a, a thing that's more misunderstood in the church than anything else, and, and that is atonement. Because if, if you don't deal with atonement, then you're going to approach the law of God from the wrong mindset. And atonement, in a very simple definition, is the cleansing of your conscience. Or... In Hebrew, it's making you kadosh, which is the Hebrew word for holy. We, we like to throw in the phrases in churches of sanctified, which is set apart, but you're not set apart until you're made holy. And the thing that makes you holy is atonement, where you and God, you know you're okay. There's a whole lot of people that operate outside the church that try and operate under that assumption. Well, I'm okay with God and he's okay with me. No, that is not the case at all unless you have accepted atonement. And the atonement for us as Christians is that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And he washed me in his blood in a spiritual sense. He has washed me and He has made me clean and made me new. I don't have to carry the guilt and the shame of my past sin. Because if I'm burdened down with the guilt and the shame of my past sin, I look at the law as a checklist of things I can do to make me okay with God. And that's exactly what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing in the New Testament. They had made their relationship with God a checklist because their conscience wasn't clear. They didn't understand that atonement was giving them the opportunity to not operate from, I've got to do all these things from a place of guilt rather than a place of love. I fulfill the law of Christ because I love him. 
versus I fulfill the law of Christ because it's the only thing that makes me feel better. And, and I look at our church world today and I see so much of the Pharisee and the Sadducee in us. Because we just want to feel better rather than operating from I love God and that's why I need to do this. I love God. That's why I have to tell other people about Him. Because when you're operating from a place of love, you can operate in the fullness of the priesthood. And this is chapters 8 through 10 and chapters 21 and 22 in Leviticus. And we could read all the way through those, but we'll keep it simple this morning. This is a picture of an illustrated picture of the high priest. Okay? Now, travel back in time with me. We're in the desert. Okay, this is the desert. Does anybody want to wear that much clothing in the desert? Okay? You look at this, he's got a underrobe, that white underrobe. He's got a blue robe that goes on top of the white robe. And then he has what are called his priestly vestments, which are, are big, heavy, jeweled pieces of clothing. And, and down at the bottom of that fringe, uh, there's, there's little tassels that had to have weighed a lot. And he also wears bells, but we won't get into that because every time I hear of an animal wearing bells, I think of bluebell, and then I think of ice cream, and then I get distracted. And anyway, <clears throat> which, I mean, it, it made me just absolutely weep this morning when I, I did look on Facebook, and everybody's going to wear blue tomorrow in honor of that young man. And I thought, wow, what a beautiful picture that you won't be able to get away from as a church today because blue was a color the high priest had to wear. On the Day of Atonement was the one day a year that the, the general populace got to see the high priest and he was wearing blue. That's a freebie. But the number one job of a priest is to put God on display before the people. There's a lot of verses we would have to read for you to see that because the priest has duties that are performed out in the common grounds, if you will, of the tabernacle. And he's to put God on display and how he does his job and how he treats people. His other job is to help people navigate their atonement. Whew. Ooh, man. Which is why atonement mattered to us. If you haven't navigated your own atonement, if you haven't really walked into a relationship with Jesus Christ, how are you going to lead someone else to that? If you're living in the mindset of, well, I'll always be what your former sin was, if that's how you identify yourself, then you won't be able to lead others to the foot of the cross where they can meet Jesus. Priests are called to intercede on behalf of others. Last week's prequel comes in. 
Are you interceding on behalf of others? Most of the offerings that you'll look at in Leviticus, the priest will take the offering and he will go to make the offering in the, in the tabernacle. It won't be that person is there when the offering is made. And, and if we look on it, it, it went in a very simple pattern where God, the priest, stood between God and Israel. And, and that was a good pattern under Levitical law. And being the go-between is really good, and it's still good for us to be the go-between. But the, the trouble we run into is when we're operating outside of that, that place of deeply knowing our atonement, when we're operating in the rules and the checklist and the letter of the law rather than in the love of Christ and the spirit of the law, we tend to start putting up barriers to keep people from getting to God rather than tearing them down. We start to see their sin rather than their humanity. And, and that's a dangerous place for us to be. This was a mirror image of how God viewed his people Israel. That God would put Israel between him and the world to put him on display. That he would bless the world through Israel. Think all the way back to the promise gave to Abraham. Okay, it's the same promise that's coming down, but it's coming down in the version of a kingdom of priests. I'll make you a blessing to all nations. Maybe some of you need that pick-me-up in the morning. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, God has made me a blessing to all nations. People don't like to speak things like that over themselves because they feel that it's pride. But if the Word of God speaks that, then why is it prideful? God says, I chose you before the foundations of the world. I'm chosen. Even on the days I feel left out, I'm chosen. Because God labeled me that. The last role of a priest is to distribute resources to those in need. And you have to read a lot there in the rules and the regulations and all of the legalese of Leviticus to find out that people brought different offerings. One of the coolest ones was an offering that was actually a, a feast that you brought a meal and had a meal with the priest. And then the meal, you know, had leftovers and the leftovers became part of the offering. How wild is that? You, I always thought, you know, potluck dinners were just made up in our time. No. God ordained potlucks and we'll get to that too. But the, the third section of Leviticus, chapters 11 through 20, deal with how to live as a priest. And, and that's hard for us because... We don't view ourselves as a priest. It's hard for us to look at that. And it's really hard because that's where you're going to run into some of the laws about what you eat, what you wear, what you do. And to sum it all up neatly, God wanted you to look and act different than the rest of the world. 
You think that high priest didn't look a lot different than the high priest of every other religion? I mean, that's going to stand out in the desert when a dude comes out in a bejeweled outfit in the desert heat. That, that's going to be way different than anything they've ever seen. Uh, especially if you were to talk about the, the high priests of Ashtoreth. Uh, they would come out almost naked. Okay, so you're called to be different. Why are the Jews not going to eat pork? Because that's different than everybody else in the world around them. It wasn't just in the what they didn't do, but it was in what they did as well that's going to make them different. And we'll see that as we go. But how you live matters. Something that doesn't get spoken on a lot in the church today. How you live matters. And I'm not going to spend time harping on what you do. That's between you and the Spirit of God. And you got to get in God's Word for yourself. But what you do matters. How you treat people matters. Do you love your neighbor as you love yourself? Some of us got to get back to atonement and love ourselves. A section that absolutely blew my mind. I'd never thought of it this way until I heard a rabbi teach on it. Chapters 23 and 24 are about festivals and and different traditions within that God was ordaining for His people. And it's simply, if I were going to break it down and make it easy, it's how to party. This has probably never been preached in this church before, but you need to go party. And they're like, there's people in the back like, kind of like, uh, what are you saying here? This is, this is definitely new material. God knew. And I want you to hear this. God knew that there was no way you could hold up to the weight and the burden of the law if you didn't learn how to let loose every now and again and enjoy this world that He made you. Now, I'm not saying go get in a drunken stupor, but I can tell you that the festivals that the Jews observed, six of them, there were six of them. I'm not going to break down each of them. They're an amazing study to themselves. Only one of them was a solemn assembly where we got together and we did what a lot of us do in church. We get here, we just be quiet, be respectful, nod, maybe giggle at the joke just to be polite. You know, these were, the solemn assembly made us look loud. You got there and you put on sackcloth, you were quiet. Most of you didn't even raise your eyes in the solemn assembly because God wanted you to focus on how deeply holy He was and to recognize without Him how holy you aren't. But then the other five are just absolute parties. The, the, the one that sticks out to me is the, the Feast of Tabernacles. They made little tents that they live in for an extended period of time and it was just seven days of feasting okay pick your favorite foods your favorite drinks and that's what you're having for seven days it's like super bowl sunday over and over and over 
It's like having your birthday party over and over and over without getting any older. We, we do this in small doses and we don't even acknowledge it. That God called us to celebrate the moments. And God declared these celebrations sacred. God called partying sacred. I want you to get your brain around that. Because when we celebrate a birthday, is that not a sacred event? We celebrate an anniversary, is that not a sacred event? We celebrate Christmas, and we definitely call that sacred because Jesus is involved. Even though we got it the wrong time of year. But anyway, I won't argue that with the biblical scholars today. But do we ever just really stop at the end of the harvest? I know they used to. When harvest was over, they used to have harvest festivals. And just celebrate and thank God we made it, we made it another year. You know, when that last calf is born on the long ranch, I think we should have a barbecue and a party every year. And, and I don't mind doing the cooking. You know, you guys supply the beef, I'll do the cooking. I, we should party and celebrate that. We bring in the last of the wheat crop in our community. We should celebrate it. Not just accomplishments. You know, we, we do a great job of celebrating state, state championships. There have been quite a few of them rolled through Laverne the last few years. We celebrate those. We need to let the world see that we celebrate the good things in life that God's given us. We need the world to see that, that we understand that there's good in this world. Because they're not going to be attracted to people and attracted to a faith that is always boring and about regulations and about rules. I love beans and jeans. It's one of my favorite services every year. Not that it changes anything for me. I wear jeans every week. But the, the fact that it's so celebration-minded. Are you looking for the good God's put in your life to celebrate it? Section 5 of Leviticus is chapters 25 through 27, and this is also sadly not preached often enough in Christianity. And that's caring for the oppressed. And as you read through those chapters, you'll see over and over, and you'll see it again in Deuteronomy, that God continually talks about caring for the widow, the orphan, and the alien. And, and he, he talks to them. This is one of the, the few times where he references Sabbath in Leviticus. And he talks about the Sabbath year of the year of Jubilee. And he puts a lot of regulations on there about releasing people from the burden of debt, releasing slaves, and, and all of these these things that make people shove to the outlying parts of society, God says on the year of Jubilee, do away with all those things and bring them back. And God took time, and those are very uncomfortable chapters. I'll warn you ahead of time when you read them. God starts putting a monetary value on lives. And there's people today that will get extremely triggered by that. But 
you don't understand history. I'll, if you're triggered by that, I'll just tell you, you don't understand history. Because God was putting a value on every life in a world full of cultures that didn't value any life except the life of a man. Well, why is a woman worth less than a man? She's worth something to God. All the other gods in the world said, she's not worth anything. You can buy, sell, trade them. God gave value to everyone. Slave, free, man, woman. In a time when not everyone was considered valuable. You want to change the world, church? I'll tell you how to do it. Start treating everyone as though they're valuable. Because there's people you walk by every day that don't believe they matter. There's people you run into in the store every day that are just this close to ending it all because they don't believe they matter. They don't feel seen. They don't feel heard. Why is there an entire generation that's lost their identity? It's because the generations before them stopped finding value in them and investing in them early to tell them they're valued, they're loved, they're wanted. Why are churches not busting at the seam? Because along the way, we forgot to reach out and to tell people how much we want them, how much we need them, how much we love them. Doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter who you claim to love. It doesn't matter how messed up you are because we're all messed up and broken too. And we want you here with us. Because when you're here with us, we're better. We can be who God called us to be. We can be priests who can help you navigate atonement through all the garbage of life. But the most beautiful thing about those chapters, and I hope you go back and read it, is that when people found themselves on the outside of the community, God was showing He was going to make a way and He was commanding the children of Israel that we would redeem them. That, that's a word that should set your hair on fire as a Christian because you know exactly what it is to be redeemed. Any of you ever wish you had a winning lottery ticket you could go redeem? Man, that'd be a lot of fun. Can you imagine how fun it is for Jesus every time somebody accepts Him as their Savior and they're redeemed? You know how fun it is to lead someone to Jesus? That's like winning the lottery, I guess. I, I don't know. Maybe I'll win the lottery someday somehow. I always have the numbers. I just don't play. But to be redeemed. And if you look at Jesus' ministry on earth, he hung out with the people that other people saw as the least valuable. Because he was going to build the kingdom of priests. Redemption is simply buying them back. Or when they get lost, it's our job to help them come home. To figure out that this is the place they belong. The entire book of Leviticus is one big chiasm. And we've talked about that, hopefully enough, but just in case you haven't been with us when we have, a chiasm is a literal, 
a literary tool used to bring a text to a central point where one side has a set of things and the other side has a set of things and down at the bottom, in the bottom of the chiasm or in the, the bottom of the canyon is what the most valuable thing was. And the chiasm of Leviticus begins with rituals of redemption. And chapters 1 through 7, where we were talking about atonement, there were things the priest had to do in order to receive that atonement and to operate as a priest free of the, the guilt and the shame of their past. The, the second part of the chiasm was priesthood, telling you how to live your life as a priest. And the last part was the holiness code, which was the, the day-to-day things that needed to be done. And a, a much better theologian than me that, that pointed to this chiasm said the top half of the chiasm deals with me, the individual. And the bottom half deals with not only me, but how I treat the rest of the world. So working your way back out from the middle, the holiness code and, and how I interact with the world around me. Am I set apart? Am I set apart in a way that brings glory to God and draws others to Him? Am I serving as a priest to others, leading them to atonement, interceding for them, meeting needs and distributing what they, what they lack? And lastly, the, the rituals of redemption, you know, taking other people through those steps of faith. And the, the better word for that in the modern church is discipleship. When I saw that, it just almost cratered me because at the center of it all was the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is unique to everything else. It's not listed in the other festivals. It's not listed in the middle of all the sacrifices. It is its own chapter in the book, and it really doesn't fit where it was written in Leviticus. It was written where it was purposefully to create this chiasm because the Day of Atonement is so different from every other offering. And you're going to have to go read the details to prove me right on this, but every other offering, the blood that was offered went into the temple. On the Day of Atonement, the blood that was spilt went out of the temple to cover the sins of the people. Because it's a picture of Jesus. The first half was about me and my relationship with God. The second half is about my relationship with other people. Peter tells us, and this is where the New Testament ties in, and if, if you don't think you need to go read Leviticus after this, you really need to hit your knees and pray a little bit. Because Peter said, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And there's debates whether that's his own possession or his own treasured possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. 
once you had only received mercy, the top half the chiasm, but now you have received mercy. You hadn't received it, now you have. And what you have, you're called to give away. What did Jesus teach in the parables over and over and over? To whom much is given, much is required. Ouch! I've received a lot of mercy. I'm telling you, as your pastor, I've received a lot of mercy. And I'm called to give a lot of mercy. Put this graphic in to close it out. And, and I should have just rephrased every one of these as a question. And, and to start with the first one is, are you a priest? Are you putting God on display in your everyday life and how you interact with people? Are you helping others navigate their atonement? Are you sharing the gospel? I'll hit you right between the eyes with that one because I'm getting hit too. Are you sharing the gospel? Are you interceding on the behalf of others? And I'm telling you, I fall short here tremendously. And I'll just take my own ownership. I'm more likely to go stand and to protest for things I believe than I am to intercede on behalf of the people that don't believe like I do. If you think about it, back when Chick-fil-A got in all their trouble, how many people rushed to stand up for Chick-fil-A? But how many of the people that rushed to Chick-fil-A stopped for a moment to pray for the people that are on the other side of the argument? How many times do we pray for them? I know we jokingly pray about removing them from office and things like that, but how many times do you genuinely pray for people who are deceived by the lies of this world to the point that they want to fight you over it? Church, we've got to become a people who intercede, not just for our family, but genuinely care about the lost. And do I distribute resources to those in need? It's one of the things I love about our church. And, and a lot of times you don't get to see it until the, the monthly business meeting, but our, our church is reaching out and meeting needs in our community. And it's a beautiful thing. I, I, I guess I need to figure out a way, work with the stewards and let people look behind the curtain in real time a little more. Because it's beautiful. When we can recognize the blessings of God in our life and we let them flow through us instead of being a dam that holds back all that stuff. Because God wants to do so much more through us. God wants to do much more through you as an individual. If you really understand your atonement, how can you help but not put God on display? I want the world to see Jesus in me. I want other people to know Jesus because I told them about him. And then when they reject me, I want to go to God and beg Him. I want to be found a, a person who is begging God not to send anyone to hell. 
Even if they deserve it, don't send them. I wouldn't want the person I hate the most in the world to end up in hell. I really don't. And that's where we need to be. But, but, but they committed such a terrible crime. Is there a crime so bad that the blood of Jesus can't cover it? But, 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 you tell me in the presence of God, when you stand before Him on Judgment Day, if He could forgive that sin, and He said He would, who are you to judge? Who am I to judge? You want to be an effective priest for the kingdom, throw away your right to be the judge. And just love people like Jesus did. And give what you can for the kingdom. I have a hard time not judging panhandlers. Just be real. I really do. Now, it doesn't say you have to give them money. Maybe that's the 12th cheeseburger they got that day. Hopefully they ate well on that terrible food they won't live on. But are you a priest? And, and that's probably not a question you can answer right now. You're going to have to spend some time with God and say, and be real. God, this is where I'm falling short. That's where I'm struggling. But you said I could do all things through you. So help me. Help me love people. Help me not judge them. Help me to share the gospel. We make that so hard. And it's really not. 